This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So what happened was my father died in 2016 and July, a year to the date that my father died, I just happened to weigh myself and I had gained 32 pounds in one calendar year. Out loud, I said to myself, wow, why do I keep doing this to myself? Why do I keep putting holes in my own bucket list? Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 87. And today my guest is Marilyn Sherman, who's a motivational keynote speaker and author. She has written four books titled, Whose Comfort Zone Are You In? Why Settle for the Balcony? How to Get a Front Row Seat in Life, Front Row Service, and her new book that was published in December titled, There's a Hole in Your Bucket List, How to Overcome Obstacles That Keep You from Achieving Your Goals. And this is a perfect time of year to be listening to Marilyn because she has tips and techniques to help us all stay focused on our New Year's resolutions. I know it's the end of January, and if you've broken any of your resolutions, listen to the entire episode, then resurrect those resolutions and apply Marilyn's tips, and you should make it to the end of 2018 and think about the difference that you'll see at that point in time. Before we get to the interview, I have a question for you. Would you like to move your team and your business forward in a positive new direction? If so, then consider purchasing my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life for $14.99. Here's a review from an Amazon customer. Yes, and he did a great job opening my eyes and mind to the concepts. I'm an ex-accountant who also did a short-lived stint as a professional actor. When I looked at the book, I was curious on what could Mr. Margaritas tell me about improv or accounting? Yes, and he did a great job opening my eyes and mind to concepts that I long forgotten about, i.e. listening to other people, being creative, and accepting positivity. His examples are real and grounded, and his use of humor is refreshing. I read the book cover to cover in one sitting because he kept me enthralled on his stories and explanations. I highly recommend this book if you're looking for some fresh new ideas to open your business processes. And even if you're not looking, you will be pleasantly surprised by his experience and approach. I thank you again, Mr. Amazon customer. Now, obviously, the book can be purchased on Amazon. But if you would like a personalized signed copy, go to my website, petermargaritas.com. That's M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S. And click on the Improv is No Joke Available Now graphic on the homepage to purchase, and the shipping is free. You can also purchase the audiobook from my website for the same price of $14.99. A professional speaker's biggest challenge is following up with their audience to continue to provide value-added tools and techniques. This podcast is one way that I use to deliver those tools and techniques back to my audience. The other way is through my social media platforms, which are Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Please feel free in connecting with me on one or all of these social media platforms. And you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter by going to my website, petermargaritas.com, and clicking the contact drop-down button on the menu bar on the homepage. Now, let's get to the interview with Marilyn. Marilyn, thank you so very much for 
taking time out of your hectic, busy schedule because we've been working on this for about eight months to be a, a, a guest on my podcast. So thank you so very much. You're very welcome. I'm glad it worked out today. I, I'm I'm really excited about this. And before we get started, I met Marilyn back in February of 2017. She was speaking at the leadership conference at White Castle Systems, and she was the kickoff keynoter. And I was the closing keynoter, and part of my deal was I was going to watch all the general sessions. And when Marilyn finished, I just thought to myself, oh, my God, I got some huge shoes to follow. <laughs> Thank God I got two and a half days to try to try to pull something out. But it was a great presentation. I, I, I still love uh, thinking back on it because I used a lot of what you talked about that day in your session and, and used it at the end to help tie it up as well as help them to remember. So loved it. That's how we met. Uh, she's a member of the National Speakers Association. And I'll let, you, I'll let her tell you. Uh, more about her background. Well, I have been speaking professionally for 22 years full-time. I saw a speaker when I was in high school and he uh, blew me away, Roger Crawford. He was an athlete and I was an athlete. And so I really related to his story. And he told this amazing story about how he was running for a touchdown in high school. And it was like the last game of the year, his senior year. And he had a prosthetic leg and a deformed arm. And he was still a high school athlete. Wow. He played tennis and football. And a defender was running after him. And the defender tackled him. And uh, his prosthetic leg came off. And he was still able to hop into the end zone to score the winning touchdown. Wow. <laughs> and, and what's funny about that is that I remember that story and how it shifted my mindset about how, wow, I have no excuse. That was, that's what I got out of it. I have no excuse. It's like not like, it's not the handicapped people of the world that are disabled. It's all the people who are able-bodied who don't use the, all of their abilities. They handicap themselves. And then years later, when I met Roger and I see him every year at our convention, I recalled that story and he said, well, that's not exactly what happened. So it was interesting that that in my mind, that's what I heard. Right. And that's what shaped my speaking business, because from a young age, I wanted to go out to the world and inspire people to um, follow their dreams and take responsibility for where they were in life. Right. And then I figured in order for me to get credibility to speak in front of corporate audiences and the audience that you saw me in front of, I probably would have to get a job first. So <laughs> I went to college, uh, got a degree in, in social and a minor in psychology. And then uh, after graduating from Washington State University, my dad gave me 30 days to get a job or else I was kicked out of the house. And my mm -hmm. first job on day 28 of my job <laughs> was at the Seattle Crisis Center where I was a suicide prevention counselor oh, really? from nine to eight working crisis lines so that people in crisis that people want to kill themselves or people that were, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, they needed, you know, they needed somebody. Uh, I, I was trained to be able to get them help. And it was very gratifying that I was I helping these people. I was saving their life. Um, but it wasn't my mission and my vision. Mm -hmm. So I left that job and got my first stint in the corporate world as a collector. And my joke was always, I went from answering crisis calls to making crisis calls because I was calling people to say that we were about to repossess their car unless they made their payments. So that job was my entry into finance, the world of finance, because it was a finance company. And they put me into a management training program and they moved me to Las Vegas. And it was an 18 month program. Um, and uh, only three months into that stint, my uh, managing boss uh, was uh, killed in a car accident. So it was horrific. Um, so they relocated me out of Las Vegas to San Jose to another branch of this finance company. And, um, but I, there's something about Las Vegas. And I told my friends that I had met, uh, while working there for a short time, I said, I will be back. And, um, so that's where I live today is I, I moved back to Las Vegas cause I loved it so much. Um, so I worked for this finance company for several years. I moved to the home office in Allentown, Pennsylvania and worked in training and development. And, um, my job was to train about 2,700 employees in the soft skills leadership development, mm -hmm. communication skills, um, uh, 
anything that um, had to do with finance went through the finance directors, but I was helping them with their people skills so they could go out and sell more finance. And then um, I was sent to a public seminar uh, to go learn more skills. And at that public seminar, I went up to the speaker and I said, oh my gosh, you're living my dream. How do I get your job? <laughs> and he turned me on to a book from Paul Karasik called How to Make It Big in the Seminar Business. And I read it and there was a chapter on seminar companies. And I applied to all of these seminar companies and SkillPath Seminars hired me. So I went on the road with SkillPath Seminars for five years, doing six-hour seminars um, up to five cities a week, up to three weeks a month. It wasn't always that hectic, but that at the height of it, it was that busy. Wow. And then after five years of that, I said, okay, it's time to go out on my own. So since 1998, um, after I left that or after I left the seminar company, I've been grinding it out ever since, one speech at a time. So it's been a great speaking career. It sounds like a, a fabulous background. Actually, we share something in common because I used to work for a bank in the collection department and was uh, calling people and you know, telling them they need to pay or I'd go repo. And I had some guns pulled on me when I went out to repo cars and stuff. We were doing the repoing at the time. We, we, weren't, we weren't contracting that out at that point in time. So... Yeah. Let's let's start with how I met you, and the topic that, that that you were talking about is front row leadership. What mm -hmm. what is what is front row leadership? Well, front row leadership is based on my book Why Settle for the Balcony: How to Get a Front Row Seat in Life, and front row leadership is is letting uh, people know, regardless of what your position is, everybody can be a better leader, even if it's just to be to uh, lead by example. So if you don't have leader in your title, you can still be a better leader. But it's about um, that you and I have choices as to where we are sitting in our life. Uh, where we're sitting, uh, whether it's the job that we have, the title that we have, the business that we have, the, the body that we have, the relationship that we have, the house that we have, wherever we're sitting today, we are where we are because of the choices that we've made. And it takes courage to look at where we are versus where we want to be. Because um, I believe there's always room for growth. There's always room for a better version of what we want. We're always moving toward and striving to become better or, or um, to have more so we can do more. And then um, I have people make a commitment that, okay, that I don't want to settle I want to move closer to the front row. Now, what is front row? For you, it's different. For me, it's different. I mean, for everybody, it's different. For your listeners, you know, it's going to be different. Everybody has a choice as to what does it mean to be in the front row of your life. Front row leadership means when you are living your best self, when you are feeling good about what you do and who you do it with and who you do it for, when you love your job, you love your product, you love your service, you love your clients, you love it, you walk different, you talk different, you service your customers different, you, you show up different. And when you show up fully engaged because you love it and you have this passion for what you do and why you do it, mm -hmm. Um, people are inspired by that. And when people are inspired just by who you are and how you carry yourself, that to me is front row leadership. So ultimately, um, what you saw me um, do in my keynote that day was describe for people that they are where they are because of their choices and that it's never too late to make better choices. Because up until today, you've been a certain way. So that means you can change who you are today to be a better version of yourself. And then when you make better choices, you get yourself closer to the front row of your life. So um, the first thing is to decide, well, what's your front row? What, what does your front row look like? And once you define that, then you ask yourself every day, okay, what can I do to move myself closer to the front row of my life? And I think that's the hardest thing we as human beings, we, we want to do that. We have the idea. We lay out the plan. But as a, a gentleman who did a TEDx talk that I know Phil Kim about taking small steps lead to bigger, uh, get, at least to that big gain, we, we take those small steps and at some point we, we forget about it. We, we don't turn it into a habit. Mm. And I, I think I'll, 
I'm, I know I'm guilty at, at that at times and, and, and trying to put a mechanism in place mm-hmm. in, in order to keep it in front of us at all times. And, and in, with my world, my two keywords are yes and about improv. And right. I used to keep it on an index card in front of me. I kept it on a post and all. I kept it in front of me. And actually, I have this little bracelet that says yes and that I wear all the time just so I can, when I do fall off that wagon, I can get back up. I, I think that's a, a challenge that many of us have is is keeping it in the forefront of our minds. Right, right. And I I heard a long time ago, I believe it was Dr. Dennis Waitley who said, we move toward and become what's uppermost in our minds. So we need to be reminded, well, what does get us excited about getting up in the morning? What does get us excited about going to work every day? What gets us excited about the work that we do? So we need to be reminded of our why. Why do we do what we do? So I, I do remember you did something uh, on stage, and you I had to put it in, in the context, but it had something to do with a water pitcher. Oh, yeah. yeah remind, <laughs> that would, remind me what that was. I do, as you were talking, I, I, I could visualize that they handed you a water pitcher and I was so mesmerized uh, about what you were doing and the point you were making. Well, it has to do with the fact that not everybody is really good at managing their communication skills when they have potential, um, uh, like a potentially overwhelming day. And, and so we have people in our life that we can go, that we can talk to, but sometimes um, we haven't, trained the people in our life to be able to know when we want to vent and when we want um, feedback and um, when we want ideas and solutions. Mm -hmm. So what you Mm -hmm. saw me do was to talk about how every one of us in our life, we need someone who I would call an anger buddy. An anger buddy is someone in our life that when we're really, really, uh, our, our, our anger sack is full. It's like we've got so much on our plate and one thing after another just gets tossed into this anger sack that all it takes is one more thing and we explode. For example, Peter, have you ever gone off on somebody where you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, ne- no, never. <laughs> nah, not once, no. <laughs> and if you think about it, when you yeah. did go off on yeah. that person, was it really that incident that yeah. made you really go off? Probably not. not. It was no. the accumulation of so much that happened yeah. over time that was unresolved that all it took was one more thing and your anger sack was overflowed mm-hmm. and you just lost it. So I give people a solution on how to never let that happen again. And the solution is to have an anger sack. So imagine you have a, a, a pitcher of water mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. that happen during your day that just don't go your way, you add water to that right. pitcher. So, um, you know, you get cut off in traffic, you go to work and someone dinged your car and then someone took credit for a project that you did. And then someone, you know, things just go wrong and you just, you have not resolved any of it. So you go home and your picture is completely, or your glass is completely full. Right. And, um, and then you have a significant other that you go home to (laughs) and it's not always, but it's typically, um, uh, uh, the man who mm-hmm. has all the answers because he's been taught to be the person who is the solution person, the mm-hmm. knight in shining armor. So let's say it's a woman who goes home and says, honey, I've had such a day. And the husband says, really? And she starts to say, what happened? Well, it started with this. And the husband typically then would say, honey, you don't need to worry about it. All you have to do is now imagine your glass is completely full because it's been filled with that pitcher. And then the knight in shining armor pours water into an already filled glass. So when someone is filling the glass um, that's already full with more solutions, that water is overflowing. So the whole point is you need to, train the people around you to say, I need to vent. So all you need to do is to say, no. <laughs> yes, it was a really, really crummy day. <gasps> no. And then this happened and this happened. <gasps> no. And if you want bonus points, you say, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually they'll run out of gas. And then, and only then at the end, can they say, um, well, are you open for feedback? And the reason why you need to ask, are you open for feedback, is that the person who's venting, they oftentimes don't need to know 
what to do about their situation. They have the answer. They just needed to vent and get rid of all of that, that uh, negative excess energy in order to get to their truth, which they already knew. Does that make got, sense? Got it. Got it. And, and, and I thank you for reminding me uh, yeah. of, of what that meant. Cause I, I thought it was, that was a great visual. Now, okay. as you're describing that, I, I, I wasn't going to change the path just a little bit here. As you're describing that, I, I, it makes me think about, is that sort of how you got the title uh, of your next book? Is there a hole in your bucket list? Oh, no. No, that's, that's completely different. So, uh, yeah, my career it has been on this, you know, gradual rise for years. So I'm really, I love my career, but there's one thing that has been, has eluded me. And, um, you know, I've been studying successful people now for over 22 years and, um, not everybody has an, uh, even road to success. There's always bumps and boulders and potholes along the way. So what happened was my father died in 2016 and July, a year to the date that my father died, I just happened to weigh myself and I had gained 32 pounds in one calendar year. And out loud, I said to myself, wow, why do I keep doing this to myself? Why do I keep putting holes in my own bucket list? Oh, once I said that out loud, I said, oh, my gosh, that would be a great title of a book. So I wrote the title of my book, um, Is There a Hole in Your Bucket List? And the subtitle is How to Overcome Obstacles That Prevent You from Fulfilling Your Dreams. So, um, so I wrote this book about how successful people oftentimes have an area of their life that they still aren't successful with. And so it's, it's a look at how we sabotage our success and how we can overcome, how we can patch up those holes in our bucket list. How, how do we sabotage our success? Oh my God. Okay. Um, we sabotage ourselves several ways. We allow um, things that prevent us from attaining our goals. For example, fear. We have fear of, like, if you have a bucket list, you have mm -hmm. your dreams, your goals, your hopes, your dreams, your mm -hmm. desires, and then you have fear that, oh my gosh, I, I don't I don't think I'm, I'm going to be able to do that. So we don't even try. So that's one, one thing that sabotages our success. Another one is um, comparison. Uh -huh. We look at other people and we think, oh my gosh, I, I, I could never be like that. Or look at that person. Wow. There's, there's so much more successful than me and they got there quicker than me. And when you have this comparison, then you allow jealousy and envy to come in. And when you allow jealousy and envy to come in, then it prevents you from going to these people to say, congratulations. And by the way, how'd you do it? Right. You know, successful people go to other successful people to get advice, to get coaching, to get help. But if you are stuck in jealousy and envy, that's going to stop you in your tracks and you're never going to go to these people to ask for help. Got it. And another one would be negativity mm -hmm. and doubt. It's, it's like you, you think you can do it. And then all of a sudden the doubt comes in and then the negativity feeds off of that doubt. And then, and then you stop trying and you give up before you make any progress. And then another big one, which is really big, is at least it was for me, is shame. Shame? Yeah. Really? And like, yeah, Dr. Brene Brown is, uh, she's got one of the most watched TED yeah. Talks out there. Yeah. And um, her, that TED Talk is about shame. And it's about uh, the secrets that we have inside. Uh, you know, if we're shameful, our shame is stems from the fact that if people really knew uh, what's going on inside of me, then maybe they won't like me and they won't accept me. Well, that if you keep it inside of you, that shame loves darkness and it loves to be kept a secret. So it feeds off of itself. So for me, my shame was the fact that here I am, this, um, you know, motivational speaker who couldn't get a handle on uh, her weight. 
So like I, I would lose weight and gain weight and lose weight and gain weight. And it was so, it was embarrassing. And I was so, I was so shameful. And because of the shame around that, I, I would, I would act like it didn't exist. Like I was in total denial about it. Hmm. And then, and then I couldn't be in denial about it because my clothes didn't fit anymore. <laughs> then I, I didn't look like the cover of my book anymore. And, and, and so that shame really ate away at me. And it wasn't until I really looked at it and realized that um, I need to be honest about it and get help. And once I did, I, it freed me up. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to feed into the, the negativity and hiding in a corner and, and feeding the negative behavior that comes along with uh, food addiction. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And, and it sounds like the steps that you took to cure that was like a patching that hole in that bucket list. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's, that's what the whole book is about is that whatever it is that's keeping you from attaining your goal it's like the cover of the book is about, um, you know, there's a hole in your bucket, but then at, at the, the top of each chapter, there's a bucket with a bunch of holes in it. And then at the bottom of the picture, there's a bunch of nails and the nails are all labeled. So the nails are labeled with shame and, and negativity and doubt. And so we're the ones that are putting the nails in the, in the bucket. So we, we, know, we're putting the holes there, which means we can patch up those holes. Okay. So if we let go of the shame and ask for help, and if we let go of the negativity and think more positively, if we let go of the doubt and uh, have more faith, we're patching up those holes so that our dreams and goals can um, come true because we're not letting them seep out of our of the leaks of our bucket list. So I, I understand. I, I get understand it. It almost ties back to something I said earlier. Um, you know, what can people do today to begin to patch these holes and how do they maintain that patch from, from breaking free? And, and, and then we got to, uh, that, that, that hole has just reappeared again. Well, what's really interesting is that, um, I wrote the book and I sent it out to, um, uh, friends and colleagues to, do a preview of it for me so I could have some testimonials. And one of my friends who knows me very well, she said, Marilyn, while you're putting this out there, you do realize, you know, you're exposing yourself, you're exposing your flaws, which is really part of the, um, um, you know, part of the overcoming shame is to be able to be authentic and to say, this is me. This is, this has been my struggle. Um, she says, if you, if Basically, she was saying, if you gain your weight back again, you're admitting to the world that it didn't work. Mm. <laughs> and it really, <laughs> it really, um, it, it was like, okay, that's that's one way of looking at it. Um, so part of me um, is like, well, that's a good incentive. <laughs> yeah. It's a good incentive. But here's here's the other thing. I did a speech on this to a... Um, a great group, a great client. And, um, and it was the first time I had spoken on the topic of, is there a hole in your bucket list? And when I got to the part about how I came to the title, I was worried because I've never like gotten up in front of an audience and exposed myself to say, you know, it's not easy to admit to people that you gain 32 pounds in a year. And as soon as I said it, the director of HR said, Oh, sounds like me. And it was just like a huge relief. So a lot of what you'll find uh, throughout the book is that when you admit something, you quickly realize you're not alone. Right. Right. You know, in, in fear, if you admit your fear, you realize you're not alone. If you admit your shame, you realize you're not alone. If you admit you're jealous or envious, you admit you're not alone. So when you expose light to whatever it is that's been holding your back, that's the that's taking your power back, and that's the first step of patching up these holes um, that are preventing you from success. So I, I hear being vulnerable, um, yeah. and I, I it could have been uh, Ray Brown's or is Amy Cuddy, one of the two TED Talks, kind of talked about vulnerability and being vulnerable, and and, and I I don't know, I hear more people uh, when I when I wrote 
my book I, I sent out to preview and a number of people said, man, you're really being vulnerable here. You're really exposing yourself. And I'm like, I, okay, but it's, I guess to, to that degree, it was freeing in the sense that, yes. yeah, we all make mistakes. We all, we all have our fears, our insecurities and stuff. Um, yes. and, and we, and I think in the corporate America, you know, we, we don't want that, that to be seen, but I, I'm finding out and talking to individuals, the more that we do that as speakers, as, as communicators, yes. the better, the better connections we make. Oh my gosh, the most successful leaders are the ones that are not afraid to be vulnerable. In fact, it was Brene Brown in her TED Talk. I think it was, um, I think vulnerability was in the, the title of her TED Talk. But in her book, uh, when I was reading her book, she said um, that talk, even though people thought it was about vulnerability, it was really about shame. Okay. Wait, that wasn't, did she say that she, when she said whatever that and became vulnerable, and she was no. She knew she was taking a risk. It's a huge risk. But then a, you're exposing yourself. So. There's always a risk when you expose yourself. And but she said the amount of people that she touched that day, and the calls and letters and stuff that she got, showed her that she wasn't alone in this. There were so many other people out there with this. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so the first thing that you can do to patch up these holes is to well, first off, you have to have a bucket list. I was going to ask, does ever do you have to have one? Well, you don't. No one ever has to have anything. <laughs> but I believe, um, I believe that a bucket list to me is about having hope for the future. It's like, okay, these are the things I would love to have or do uh, before I kick the bucket. So for me, though, it's really just a, it's like a glorified goal list, a life list. Um, so have a bucket list. And um, and then ask yourself, okay, what can I do to start crossing things off the list? And if you have one reoccurring thing that you just can't seem to cross off your list, take a deeper dive to see what's preventing you from doing that. And that you can see where your leaks are coming from and um, start to tackle where those leaks are and patch, you, patch up those holes. Okay, so... We have we we need a bucket list, so so we need to set these goals. Do I have to have a, a big old bucket? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. some people have big buckets. Oh. <laughs> some people have little buckets. Okay, God. yeah, no, no, it doesn't matter. In fact, um, when I interview people for my book, some people have lots of things. And then I interviewed Manly Feinberg; he had two things on his bucket list. He only had one thing for a long time, and then he just recently added a second thing. So really, there are no rules at all to your bucket list. It's your list. You get to decide what's on your list. Um, what I prefer is to have people divide up their list, like have a, a bucket list for your personal life, a bucket list for your work life, a bucket list for your philanthropic life, a bucket list for your friendship world. You know, So you can divide it up, and so you can have different areas of your life that you want to, um, have a real rich life. This is, this is how I want to create my life, different areas of my life. Why not have a bucket list for these different areas? I, I love the idea, but you just said something that triggered something that took, and I'm going to go just a little bit off topic here, but you, um, you said something at, uh, at the white castle event that has stuck with me. And it had to do, because you said philanthropic, and I know that you like to help the homeless. Yes. And I, when you said that, so I'm just going to take a little sidecar here. If you could sure. share that and repeat that. I mean, that that was so powerful, what you said. And I've actually changed my language along, um, along those same lines. Well, it was six years ago that my husband and I were invited by Tara and Mike Rayburn to go and feed the homeless um, in Las Vegas. There's a big area down in um, uh, southern Las Vegas where a lot of the homeless community hang out. And they got together this amazing community of people. And we all brought food and everything that you would need to create this big Thanksgiving feast in a park. And we all divided up our responsibilities. My job was to be the greeter. So I stood at the opening of the park and I greeted all the homeless to come in. And, and it was an, an amazing day. There was lots of food. It was, it was really 
gratifying. But then something happened on the way home that made me say that I will never feed the homeless again. And it's been six years and I have not. And what happened was uh, my sister called me and said, how was your Thanksgiving? And I said, well, it was great. Frenchie and I went down and we fed the homeless. And then my husband, I call him Frenchie, he interrupted (laughs) me and I'm like, I'm on the phone. He's like, no, uh, no, (laughs) no. No, he said, this is too important. And he he said, he gave me a life lesson. <clears throat> he said, you feed dogs and you serve the homeless. Wow. And I, in, it, yeah. It's, it's still in good, that, yeah. Yeah, in that one moment, um, I everything shifted for me. So now um, every Saturday that we are in town, we choose Saturdays, Catholic Charities here in Las Vegas, they serve a free meal every single day of the year. We choose to go down on Saturdays and we serve anywhere between three and 600 of our homeless population uh, in this beautiful kitchen. And, uh, we, and we have different volunteers that come every Saturday and then the people that actually work for Catholic Charities. And every Saturday morning before they open the doors, I say to the volunteers, okay, everybody, um, our role, our theme of the day is that we serve with joy and dignity. The joy part comes when they come through the line, we give them eye contact and we smile and we wish them a happy Saturday. Um, the dignity part is we have zero expectation that they will say thank you, that they smile back and that they, um, they acknowledge us because that's not our role. Our role is to serve and and we let it go. And when you shift your mindset from coming from a place of I'm feeding these people to serving them, it, uh, it really puts your life in a perspective and it's been very gratifying. Yes, I, it does. I mean, it, it puts your life in perspective and gives a whole different meaning. And, and, and I had goosebumps when you said it that day, I, I, I had them again. Um, that has stuck with me and, and I've, I've made a conscious effort to make that change in, in my dialogue. So thank you very much. For, I'm glad you reminded me of that. And my wife Wait. says, I can't remember anything. <laughs> just dawned on me. So back to the bucket list. Uh, yes. Obviously, would would you mind sharing? I assume that you in the book you kind of outline maybe some of your bucket list that you currently have or or had. Well, it's very funny that um, um, I had a relationship bucket list. I've I've always had like my dream boards, my vision boards, my goal list. And, um, I, I didn't follow it always. Like my self-esteem at one point in time was so low that I married somebody because he asked, I mean, it was, it was, it was not good. So I, um, divorced him after a year and then I was single for seven years. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to use all my motivational skills to be outrageous and be specific because that's what they taught me about goal setting and bucket lists, be outrageous. And then, and then narrow it down and be specific. So I came up with a, um, uh, bucket list of what I wanted in a relationship. And I came up with 356 traits that I wanted in a man. <laughs> Three, well, 356. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I narrowed it down to the top 10. And in the top 10, he had to speak fluent French. (laughs) (laughs) And and in actuality, what was happening was I was in Bangor, Maine with a group of experiential trainers, outdoor trainers, Mm -hmm. and we were rock climbing and uh, we got rained out. So we split up and went to have lunch and a girlfriend and I went out for a pizza parlor just to wait for the rain to stop. And I was complaining about my boyfriend at the time. And she said, okay, well, then what do you want? I'm tired of you complaining about what you have, so tell me what you want. And I started talking about the traits I wanted in a man, and she started writing them down. And then she said, well, what does that look like? And then she would write that down. And she would say, okay, what does that look like? And she kept, so she kept writing all these traits down, and we came up with 356 traits. And then she narrowed them down to the top 10, and um, and in that top 10, he had to speak French. So... I was at a weekend retreat in, I believe it was 2003 or 2004, and in walks this man, and uh, he sits down next to me, and as soon as he started talking, I noticed he was different (laughs) because he had this French accent, and he talks like this, and I'm thinking, oh, (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was so uh, excited because I thought, you know what? I'm not going to wait for some man to come into my life to speak French. I'm going to go take a French class. So I decided I'm going to take a French class. And on the way home, I bought a French CD and um, had to learn French. And uh, I, in fact, I have those CDs sitting on my, <laughs> on my countertop right over there in my bookcase. And then on the final day of this workshop, I stopped, um, found him in the parking lot. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, before you go, I just want to say thank you for being here. You have no idea how much you've inspired me. Because of you, I've decided I'm going to go take a French class. So thank you. And I swear that was my only intention was to thank him. I had no expectation of anything in return. And much to my delight and surprise, he said, you do not have to uh, take a French class. I can help you with your French. (laughs) So he invited me to dinner and I took notes and he invited me to dinner the next night. And I took less notes and he kept (laughs) inviting me to dinner. And and in 2005, uh, we got married. (laughs) That's a great story. Yeah. So it works. So it works. So I was able to cross that off my bucket list. And um and now my bucket list has to do with um continuing my philanthropic work, but also my speaking business. I always like to, you know, to speak to bigger audiences, to speak to uh larger like big events, you know, like I spoke at the MGM Grand one time and that was a big event. And I thought, you know, I would love to do more big events like that. And I was um, speaking to our academy here and I had all of our academy speakers tell me what their ideal uh, speaking uh, world would look like. And I was so surprised that one of them said, well, I want to only speak once a quarter. And I'm like, wow, I've been in this business over 20 years and I I don't want to slow down. I want to rev it up. I want to keep speaking and keep speaking just because I love uh, touching the lives of the people that I speak in front of. So the more the merrier. So my bucket list has to do with speaking to bigger audiences and speaking more often. Uh, we have a similar bucket list then. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, always, you know, that's always, I guess with my business, it's the same thing. It's that bucket list is, is bigger, better, as well as reinventing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually Mike Rayburn who came to our chapter earlier this earlier this year, well, it was in what, August or September, did a great presentation, but then he was talking about reinventing oneself. And we get, yeah. and it was using Apple, and, and that absolutely resonated with me. Uh, even mm-hmm. though I've, I've read uh, uh, Jobs' autobiography, but with, with him talking about that and how we, uh, uh, in any business, we have to reinvent ourselves. If not, we're going to be Blackberry or somebody like that. Um, I'm going into the period of, of time that this is my time of reinvention. And as you said, I, I yeah, I have a great Mike Raven story because um, uh, he invited me to his home to watch this virtuoso play the piano in a concert because um, this woman was a Juilliard graduate. And I uh, interviewed her after well, not interviewed her. I asked her a question afterwards. I said, how did you go from a um, housewife in Las Vegas to living in New York City going to Juilliard, graduating from Juilliard, and now you're a virtuoso um, piano player. She said, "Um, well, I applied just to get it off my bucket list. And as soon as she said that, I said, can I interview you for my book? And um, so I interviewed her, and she said um, she had always wanted to go to Juilliard. She always wanted to go to New York City and Carnegie Hall, and she had brochures since she was 11, 12, 13 years old. And she played the piano and she showed such talent. But her father said, well, you can't make a living out of it. You know, you got to marry a doctor or a lawyer, (laughs) you know. And so she put those dreams on the back burner and she played it safe. And she applied to a a non, you know, non-name college on a full scholarship and she never applied to Juilliard, and she, but it was always deep in her heart and deep, deep down inside of her. And she was so tired of it always being in the back of her mind that when she went to a Mike Rayburn class mm-hmm. called um, uh, How to Have a Life Virtuoso, something like that, Mike Rayburn yeah. offers this class, um, he asked her two questions. Um, well, one, one thing was, uh, what have you not forgiven yourself for? And then what's deep in your heart of what you really want to do. So she had to forgive herself for not applying to Juilliard. 
And then deep in her heart, she always wanted to apply to Juilliard. So you put those two together. So as an adult, after getting married and having a baby, she said, I'm going to go for it. She applied to Juilliard and she she got in. And only 8% of the people that apply to Juilliard actually get in. So her husband was very supportive. He quit his job and he moved the family to New York City. And now she's a Juilliard graduate. And now she's a working um, piano virtuoso. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's Stop, a off her bucket list. <laughs> wow. That is that that's that's powerful. It, isn't it though? But it, it goes back to, to the to how we started talking about this. It, she that was the patch that she had for the hole. Yes. Yes. It, so it it comes back to the the hole's there. Yes. And in her case, she had to forgive herself. The patch was forgiveness. The hole was created by doubt. The hole was created by negativity. The hole was created by someone else putting in her mind, well, you can't make a living out of doing what you really love to do. So she patched that hole up with forgiveness and then following her heart. And she went out and did it. And and her intention really was to finally be able to apply just so she could cross it off, just to say, okay, I did it. It's out of my system. I can go on with my life. Little did she know that she was good enough to actually make it. Wow. Well, you've touched the- Imagine what people could do if they actually applied uh, for the things in their life that they didn't think they could do. Imagine if they were like, hey, maybe- Maybe I could be a success at it, and oh my gosh, we could turn the world on fire. Uh, yes, we could, and 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 that as um, that, that's resonated really close to me right now. So I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But that has resonated very close to me, and maybe it's a conversation we have offline on it. But um, I, I I love this concept. I I I, I love the. I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, and maybe you've already thought about this, but when you're out speaking and you're talking about this, do, do you have patches for people? Do you have, Ooh. do you, do you have, you know, something that they, that, that, that visual and maybe it's a quote or something on there to remind them, or, or maybe you have a few patches that are actually bookmarks for your book. Mm, no, I don't. Not yet. But that sounds like a great idea. Thank you. I just I because I, I could visualize people because that that's the that's the cure right there is the patch. And that patch is forgiveness. That that patch that patch is a, a dreaming. That patch could be almost anything. And um, which, which would help. Because I, I keep going back to the small wins go for the big gains. And what could what can that visual somebody could have in front of them to help yeah. remind them that. Yeah, this is something that I, I want to do. And I've said I'm going to do it. I'm going to patch this damn hole yeah. and move forward. That's good. Yeah, I could I could sell a pack of patches at the back of the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could sell a pack of patches at the back of the room. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm starting to think like a speaker. <laughs> That's a great idea. I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of which, I I I, I know that uh, you're very busy, and I don't want to take up too much of your time because I I could talk about this for a while. Probably I could go in therapy a little bit to cure some of my my, my maybe I get a couple of patches from you. But 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 the but the big question is, how can people find you, and how can people find your book? Um, MarilynSherman.com is how you can find me. Uh, Marilyn, uh, like Monroe and Sherman, like the tank. So you can't forget me. Um, and, uh, and you can find my book on my website, um, or you can go to Amazon. It's there. And, um, but if your listeners, um, want to come to my website and buy my uh, bucket list book, I'm going to throw in a bonus for them. Uh, and I'll throw in a, a wine book from Frenchie. Frenchie wrote a book called uh, choosing wine made easy it's about tips on the wine the world of wine it's a tip book and uh, it's very popular so i'll throw that in for free if you order from my website of course i can't honor that if you go through amazon so it's up to you and your readers but i just want to order i want to offer um, something special for your listeners today should they put some type of code in or something so you know they're coming for me like the word improv so Um, they listen to when they buy on my website, what they do is they'd have to put in a note for their mailing address. Okay. So in that note, it's a, they can just make a note to say, you know, 
Don't forget my free wine book that you promised from Peter's podcast. Okay. <laughs> Something Perfect. like Perfect. That that's that'll be yeah. great. That'll be great. Uh, Marilyn, it, it was it was well worth the wait. I'm glad we had this conversation. I, I'm excited about your book. I can't I can't wait to sit down and and uh, peruse through it and read through it and and, and take some nuggets out of it. I, I I I wish you the best with the book. I know our paths will cross probably this summer in Dallas. Is there a hole in your bucket list? <laughs> um, uh, thank you. At at, at uh, uh, at, at influence and uh you know if i can ever help you in any which way please let me know and i think before you leave you have to give a special shout out to your other columbus friend here in town oh well john kelly of white castle oh my gosh and linda seabock <laughs> over there i love john and uh oh my gosh they're so amazing um do you ever see them Actually, I was supposed to go to this Christmas party this year, and it was the first time in like four or five years that I was in town. And unfortunately, I was under the weather. But I, I see, I see John uh, and Jamie at least two or three times a year. Oh, they're amazing! Yeah, yeah. great. Group. Those guys are awesome. I love those guys <laughs> over there at White Castle. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're good people. Yeah, very. They're, they're, they're they're very cool. They're, you know the story on how I know John and Jamie. Did I tell you that? Yep. No, I was teaching an MBA class at Ohio Dominican University, and they were my they were two students of mine in my master's of accountancy class. Oh, uh, well, they take they were taking a master's level accountancy class, and um, Jay, uh, Jamie being the, the character that he is, the uh, week before I had to go to the class and introduce myself, and they had to do pre work or whatever, and it was around the NCAA tournament time. And, and I made, I'm a University of Kentucky graduate, love UK basketball, and they were going to, could be in the finals. And I made a comment that if they were, uh, we were going to cut class early that night. Well, the, <laughs> they got beat by Michigan State. So we weren't going to be in the finals. So that Monday night, first class, it, and it was at six o'clock. I was getting ready to close the door, and Jamie walks in the door wearing a Michigan State jersey. And he just. <laughs> And he just walked there. And I hadn't met him. I don't really know him. And I just looked and said, I've never given an F so quickly in my life. <laughs> That's so mean. That's just mean. <laughs> but that was, that was Jamie. And, and Jamie and John and I have, have been, you know, we, we developed a friendship over time and been friends, you know, it seems like going on 12, 13 years now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. They are great guys. But once again, thank you so very much for taking time out. And I look forward to reading your book and seeing you in uh, Dallas this summer. Perfect. Thank you, Peter. You are awesome. I can't wait to see you as well. I would like to thank Marilyn again for sharing her tips and techniques on front row leadership and how to patch that hole in our bucket list. In episode 88, I interviewed Jody Paydar, and our discussion is about her new book titled The Radical CPA, New Rules for the Future Ready Firm. Thank you again for listening, and always remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization and in your life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.